following message is presented by Community Gospel Church in Bremen, Indiana. It is our great privilege to share this ministry with you. We in no way intend for this to be a replacement for the local church. It is our prayer that this would serve as a resource to help make Jesus Christ known in our congregation and other congregations gathering across the world. For more information about Community Gospel Church, visit www.communitygospelchurch.com. If you would, open up your Bibles to the book of Acts. We're in Acts chapter 23. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Four Gospels which give an account of Jesus' life. And then you're going to get to Acts, which is what it looks like to embody following Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. You see that in the local church the, uh, as they started in the book of Acts. We've been going through Acts just kind of chapter by chapter. And uh, we've been looking at this in regards to how it applies to our lives And what does that look like for us to embody um, coming to know Jesus as well? As I was studying and just kind of going through this message this week, one thing that kind of came to light as we're looking at Acts chapter 23 is that people feel secure when they're in control of things. Amen? Amen just means I agree. And you can say I agree with that because it's true of every single person. I feel better. I feel more secure if I'm in control of things, right? I mean, if my spouse would just do what I wanted them to do, we'd be okay. If my kids would just do whatever I asked them to do, we'd be okay, right? More amens have been echoed in the first two seconds of this sermon than ever this year. When we feel secure, it oftentimes comes when we feel like we're in control. If you would go into the medical field and you would ask uh, doctors and nurses and people who are medical practitioners, they will tell you that if you articulate to a patient the reason why they are going to receive this specific treatment, they'll respond better. As a matter of fact, um, they will tell you that these people will suffer less depression. They will cooperate better. They'll recover better. But then we realize, on the other hand, if people don't know the why behind things, uh, they'll suffer more stress and they don't have the opportunity to heal properly. Gone are the days where doctors could just look at you and say, I'm the doctor, you do what I ask you to do because I know better than you. And same is true with us as pastors. Some of us come and we ask for advice and I say, well, this is what you should do. And what happens is uh, people will look at that and they'll say, but why? We always want to know why. But here's the crazy thing is uh, we want to know the why. We want to feel in control. We want to have that power. But what about the times that we don't? have that power. What about that time when we don't have that control? My oldest daughter, for example, she struggles with anxiety before school. It's the worst five minutes uh, that we have as parents. And Bethany and I have uh, realized that it is completely out of our control. One of the hardest parts of parenting is that your children will have struggles that are within themselves and you can't help them. You want to fix it for them so bad, but you can't. And we realized uh, that we've cried about it, we prayed about it, and we've pleaded to God over it to gain some control. But you know what he looks at us and says? Why don't you just trust me and learn in the process? You ever feel like looking at God and saying, I don't think I want to do that today? What happens here is we realize that we have to depend on Jesus. When I use the word powerless, what I'm talking about is being completely unable to alter the details of the future. Where is a place in your life where you are powerless, completely unable to alter the details of the future? 
Where is a place in your life that is outside of your control? You're powerless. Now, here's a crazy thing. In those times, what if we're experiencing life the way it's supposed to be lived? What if that's God's whole plan for us? He looks at us and he says, hey, when you feel powerless, that's exactly how I want you to be. What if God's better way is when we are powerless, relinquish control, and what if in our powerless times, that's when God is working the most? Because in Acts chapter 23, we see the Apostle Paul, the man who persecuted the church, pushed against the church, then came to know Jesus on the road to Damascus, start to populate the church, is completely powerless. In Acts chapter 22, before we get to chapter 23, verse 23, what we realize is that Paul had a trial that ended poorly. He is surrounded by Jews and they're articulating to him. They're saying, hey, we're mad at you because you are preaching everywhere to everyone about this Jesus who is the Messiah. Why are you doing these things? And, uh, and, and to make matters worse, you bring these people called Gentiles into our church and you defile it. Heaven forbid you bring somebody to church, right? But they're adamantly opposed to Paul and he realizes the more he talks to these men, that he is powerless and that their heart has been hardened to God's truth. So much so in the very first couple of verses in Acts chapter 23, Paul opens his mouth, he speaks and he talks and somebody punches him right in the face. He is powerless, it's outside of his control. And what we're seeing here is no matter what he did, no matter what he said, the people rebelled against God and for the next five years, Paul is no longer a free man. He has to plead his case in front of people. He has to trust God. He has to realize that God's way is better than his ways. He has to realize that his fate is in the hands of others. He's powerless, he's helpless, and yet he has never been more composed and realizing that God is directing his steps. The more control that he relinquishes over to God, the more God works. And the same thing that can be said about the Apostle Paul can be said about you and I. So let's pray and ask God's blessing upon his word before we start. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, thank you for this truth in the text, and thank you for Paul's life. What a very clear example for us to follow as believers. To look at Paul in this moment, in this place, in the book of Acts, and realize that his powerlessness is when you are working the most. And then when you have uh, control and that you are helping and that you're doing things behind the scenes that we can't even understand. We pray for clarity today and that, that this truth in your text would be so clear that we would not just be hearers, but doers as well. And we would take this into our everyday life and the places that we're powerless and we would realize how important it is to continue to relinquish control of the things that we so desperately want to control back over to you. Because you are the creator of the universe and because you are the one who ultimately is sovereign and in control. We love you, Jesus. Where I fall and falter here in the next couple of minutes, fill in the cracks. and Help us to continue to make your son Jesus known. Amen. All right, Acts chapter 23. Here's what it says. Acts chapter 23, verse 23. If you don't have a Bible, it's page 1735 in the Pew Bibles. Then he, 
Who's he? Well, you can circle that in your Bible if you want to. It's a guy named Claudius Lysias. He calls two of the centurions and he says to them, get ready 200 soldiers with 70 horsemen and 200 spearsmen. And I want you to go as far as Caesarea to the third hour of the night. That's nine o'clock p.m. You're welcome. The commander learns about these Jews who are plotting to kill Paul. Adamantly opposed to his ministry. Adamantly opposed to what he's doing. And they want to lure Paul into the temple so that they can stab him. And he enlists here this Claudius Lysias, two centurions, and a transport detail for Paul. Now here's the crazy thing about these centurions. Each centurion commanded a hundred men. You have support staff, junior officers, armor bearers, and these guys are higher ups. We would call them in the police department world brass. They're brass, okay? I don't know if brass likes to be called brass or not, but we call them that anyway. And they're in charge of special details. They guard the bigwigs. It's when the president comes to town in South Bend and they block off the highways, right? They also manage prisoners who are high up. This is a high-level transport. It's got to go from point A to point B. And they also carry out punishment. So these centurions would have been no strangers to crucifixion. It is amazing as we start to unpack this passage how much Paul's trial is starting to look like Jesus' trial and how much Paul's walk is starting to resemble Jesus' walk. And so these commanders surround Paul because Claudius Lysias wanted to essentially puff out his chest and he wanted everybody to see how powerful he was and how much the Roman army could be summoned at a drop of a hat to do whatever was required of them. And so we see here that 200 men come at 9 o'clock at night to take this Paul over to another place. But if you read in the text in 23, it also says bring spearmen and other people as well. We have over 400 people who surround the Apostle Paul to take him to a place. One man. That made me feel kind of important. But here's what comes out of just that single passage. When we're powerless, God's protection comes from the most improbable places. There is no way that Paul would have ever been able to articulate that he were to go from point A to point B with 400 people. No way! God's protection comes from improbable places. You know, I think about this in regards to student-athletes. We talk to students all the time and they get like a full ride to go to a school or go to a college. And what happens? They get hurt. And they're sitting on the sidelines and, uh, and they have uh, this injury that has plagued them. And they say uh, to uh, the first responders, I'm out. I had a full ride to a scholarship. Now what am I going to do? Well, maybe God's protection is going to come from an improbable place. You know, we talk about people who lose their jobs sometimes. And they think to themselves, man, I lost my job. It's the worst thing that ever could happen to me. But what if the worst thing that ever happens to you is a place where God is protecting you from something else to transpire? There is no way that Paul would have said that this is God's plan, but now he's starting to realize that God is protecting him in the most improbable place. And I'm reminded of Joseph. Do you know Old Testament story, Joseph, and the Technicolor Dreamcoat? 
There was no such thing as a Technicolor dream coat. I don't know where that comes from, but it was a pretty coat. <clears throat> Joseph has problems with his brothers. And his brothers uh, essentially say, hey, we don't like you, so we're going to sell you. You think your family is bad? Try getting all your brothers and sisters around. They're like, hey, let's sell you. Let's see how much you're actually worth. And so he goes off and he realizes, man, this is, this is a little, little different. And so he has all these twists and turns. And we know the story of Joseph. There becomes a famine in the land. And his brothers are face to face with him and they don't even know him. They don't even recognize him. They don't even know who he is. And Joseph says in Genesis chapter 50, I love this passage of scripture. He said, listen, brothers, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. He says, the saving of many lives happened because God's protection came from an improbable place. If we're powerless and give up control, God's protection comes from improbable places. Verse 24. Also, I want you to provide mounts for Paul to ride, which is a horse, and he needs to come safely. So you can underline that word. He needs to come safely. In other words, don't beat him up on the way there, okay? We had that happen with Jesus. It didn't end well for us. So let's make sure that he gets to point B safely. And you're going to take him to Felix, the governor. Now, I circle in my Bible Felix there because Felix is the same as Pontius Pilate to Paul. Same guy, okay? They do the same things. And also, Claudius Lysias is super intelligent because he realizes that this is a case that is above my pay grade. I don't want it. <laughs> and we would say amen. And so Paul is placed on an animal, probably a horse. He's sent over to Caesarea, and he is going um, to appear to this Felix guy. Now, here's the thing. When we're powerless, which Paul is, not only does God work and protect us in improbable places, but he works in unexpected ways. His ways are not our ways. His way is not your way. And what we see here is God could have used a number of methods to get Paul over to Caesarea, but he chose a Roman army. You cannot limit God by asking him to do things the way that you want him to do things. I think about my daughter and the anxiety that she has in the mornings before school, and I tell her all the time what to do, but that doesn't help. She has to fight that. And what we've seen is that God works in so many different ways through so many different people. He comes in so many different places and he says, listen, I want you to understand that when I intervene and I work, better things can happen than you could ever anticipate. We've had relationships come out of this. And while it's still a struggle, we've seen the blessing. What about you? You know what? I remember when I was in school, my mom and dad are here today, so it's always weird preaching when they're in the, the pews because you never know what's going to happen after church. So if I just keep talking, that's probably why, right? <clears throat> but my mom would attest. She would say, man, uh, Jordan really struggled in school. I didn't get along with teachers real well. Anybody else? And so uh, I remember that I had hard teachers, but those hard teachers prepared uh, myself for better times in the future. So sometimes we look at hard teachers and we say to ourselves, oh, well, if only this could pass, then we would be okay. Maybe some of you have hard bosses. Maybe some of your employers are rough. Maybe that is for God's purpose because he wants to work in an unexpected way. Maybe some of us have hard children and we look at them and we think to ourselves, man, if only you could just. 
The second you say, if only you can just, you're looking for the possibility of having a perfect life which doesn't exist until Jesus comes and calls us home. Your perfect life does not manifest itself until God comes back to earth, draws us back into his physical presence, and puts us in a place of eternity. You're always going to have trials. You're always going to have tribulations. You've got to lean into those and see through the lens of the scriptures how God is working in an unexpected way. Paul, did you ever anticipate going to Rome on a horse? Nope. Didn't see that one coming. And so I think also of Isaiah when God says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and neither are my ways your ways. We have to let God amaze us with his limitless power and creative plans. He's a very creative God. He works in very creative ways. So he keeps going. I'm going to write a letter to this effect. Verse 26. Claudius Lysias. I don't like the translation in the ESV. I preach out the English Standard Version of the Bible. I don't like how this is worded here. Because in the New Living Translation it says, From Claudius Lysias to Felix. This is kind of worded different. So it's, signed, it's kind of like him signing his name at the beginning of the letter. That's goofy. We don't do that. Claudius Lysias. Can you imagine sending somebody a text like that? Jordan Muck to Bethany. No, we don't do that. To his excellency. Now we're learning about Claudius Lysias here, which I think is fascinating. You want to know why? Because he's a very prideful, arrogant man. To the most excellent governor, Felix. He's buttering him up. He says, this man, Paul, was seized by the Jews and was about to be killed by them. But I, but I was the one who came upon them. No, you didn't, you liar. If we go back a chapter, we realize that other people came and rescued Paul. He wasn't even around. But I, the commander of these armies, rescued him, learning that he was a Roman citizen. I also love Rome. See what he says there? I respect you, but I also love Rome, and I want to make sure that Rome stays the way that it is. 28. Desiring to know the charge for which they accused him, I brought him down to their council. In other words, we kind of wanted to see him die in front of a bunch of people, so we let him talk, and that didn't go well either. So you could read the previous chapter, and you could see that that wasn't a good idea. And so, verse 29, I found after these people had talked to him and the charges that they were accusing him of, that he was being accused about questions of their law. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. I found that he was charged with nothing deserving death or imprisonment. If you were reading this letter as a New Testament Christian, And you had the opportunity to see that there was an articulation of that they were innocent before the law about their God. You would have been so encouraged. But again, here's the parallels between Jesus and Paul, right? Because Jesus has also found an innocent man. I don't see anything here that he should be charged with imprisonment or death. Verse 30. And when it was disclosed to me, and there he just kind of let the cat out of the bag that he wasn't there, that there would be a plot against this man, I sent him to you. And that is why you should delegate leadership. 
He says, nope, I'm not going to deal with it. I'm going to give it over to you. I ordered his accusers also to come to state their case before you about what they have against him. Yikes. Now, here's what we learn in this letter. This is a summary. It is often called an eloquim, which is a summary of the master letter. Okay, So it's not the whole letter. Luke is essentially just making it concise. And he says in verse 25, if you look at that, it says, To this effect, which is a summary, not a word-for-word record. And here is what would have happened. Paul would have gotten wind about this letter. And he would have gotten wind that his case is being taken to somebody who's higher than him. And he would have looked at that uh, specific spot in verse 29 where it says, I found that he was being accused, nothing deserving death or imprisonment. And you know what he did? He relaxed. He breathed out. There's 400 soldiers around me. I'm an innocent man. I can finally relinquish control over to God. I don't have to wrestle. Where are we in our life where we are wrestling, not thinking clearly, talking too much, praying too little, panicking rather than trusting, thinking about our way, our rights, our plans, our well-being instead of God's plan, God's will, God's well-being? Where are we in the times where we're fighting so hard? I just want control, God. Just give me control. He looks at it and he says, if you would just stop, see things through the lens of Scripture, and know that I am in control, you can rest in my grace. In the times of powerlessness, we find rest. When we get to the end of ourselves, we can see that God has control. Now, I'm not saying there's never a time not to fight. But when fighting can achieve a clear objective without committing a sin, then fight for all your worth. But that doesn't happen. Oftentimes when we fight, we sin and push back against God and His will and His ways. What do you need to just rest in God's rest in? What is it? Is it work? Is it school? Is it parenting? Sometimes, as a parent, I just sit there in my living room and I say, we're going to see how this shakes out. And then I regret it immediately. But we have to sometimes, right? This is not going to end well, but it's going to be a lesson to be learned. Sometimes we look at our to-do list and we say to ourselves, I'm going to do all of this. Bethany's in France right now and She left a detailed itinerary of everything that I'm supposed to do every day. (laughs) What a good woman. And so I check off the list and I get it done. And on Tuesday, Tuesday was a pretty heavy day at our house and her list was pretty long. (laughs) And I called her at the very end of the day and I said, "Hun, I got all of your list done. It was actually Wednesday morning. I said, I got all of your list done. And I was expecting her to say, I'm so proud of you. And she says, Jordan, um, that was just a rough sketch. You didn't have to do all of that stuff. You could have spread it out days. <laughs> what? Yeah, it's just, it's just those are things I normally do that would be nice if you would do them as well. I did all of them. <laughs> Say thank you. 
And then I realized, that was so dumb. This is my ticket to do whatever I want. <laughs> Here is the outline in the plan that she had articulated. But there was flexibility in it, and I didn't get it. Now, God's commands, there's not flexibility in. But he says, I want you to walk and understand that there's going to be times where I'm going to change the course. And when you feel powerless, those are opportunities for you to stop and rest, not to continue to wrestle. Those are times where you need to just pick up the phone and call me and be like, am I supposed to do all of this? Is this, is this what you require of me? And sometimes God's going to look at us and say, yes, absolutely. And sometimes God's going to look at you and he's going to say, you know what? I'll never give you more than you can handle. And you just need to stop and you just need to rest. And know that I'm God. Some of us who deal with sicknesses understand this more than anybody else. Because that illness inside of our bodies does not go away. And we sit at the doctor's office and we think to ourselves, if he could just remove this from my body, everything would be okay. But God says, it's not the plan that I have. Your ways are not my ways. I'm going to do something amazing here in this moment. You need to just be still and you need to just rest. I got it under control. Verse 31, it continues. And so the soldiers do what they're supposed to do according to their instructors. They take Paul and they bring him by night to this Epiphas. And that's the halfway point, 32. On the next day they return. So half the soldiers leave, half the soldiers keep going because the worst is over. And they let the horsemen go with them. And on 33, it says, when they had come to Caesarea and delivered the letter before the governor, they say, here is this Paul that you're going to read about in this letter, 34. And on reading the letter... Felix looks at him and he says, what providence are you from, Paul? I'm from Sicilia. And he says, I know that place. And because I know that place and I know you and I know those people there, verse 35 says, I will give you a hearing when your accusers arrived. The protection continues, though, in the rest of that passage. Did you notice that? He does not say, I will put you out in the middle of town. Look at what it says. He says, I command these people with you to guard you in Herod's praetorium, a place of security. And what we're seeing here is that it was not the church that got Paul to Rome. It was not Paul's tent-making business that got him funded to go to Rome. It was the government of Rome funded the whole trip. How are we going to get to Brazil? I don't know. Let it go. You'll get there. Who's going to fund the money for the building? I don't know. We'll get there. It will happen because God is sovereign, and when we're powerless, His sovereignty becomes that much clearer. God is the supreme authority. All things are under His control, and when we let go and release that pressure, we claim God's peace. I love standing here listening to Russell talk because he knows it will happen. It'll happen or his kids won't have an inheritance. And maybe they're not supposed to have an inheritance. I don't know. But it will happen. You only need to have faith. And if the answer to the prayer request is no, there's always a learning opportunity in that process. 
Because it's still an answer to prayer. You only need to be faithful. Self-reliance produces anxiety that is insensitive to God's leading. Climbing movies are huge right now. I have no idea why. I think it's because we like seeing people almost die. It's amazing. We watch these guys climb huge mountains without any ropes on. And they put these little things in the, in the rock. And then what they do is they say, okay, we did all the hard work for you. And so you could come and you can go to the top of this mountain and repel off the mountain. Because that's way funner than climbing the mountain. I don't know if you've ever repelled, but it's awesome. You have to do zero work to get to the top. You just let go. So you have these uh, pulleys and this rope goes in this pulley. And they put you up there and you look back and you realize that you might see Jesus in about five minutes. And then you realize that you put your trust, which is kind of like a roller coaster. Like, why do we ride those things? Somebody built that. I'm a human being. You're a human being. You built that thing. You want me to get on it? And we're like, yeah, sure. Go ahead. So you lean back. You look down and you have two ropes in your hands. You have to let one side go. You cannot go to a secure spot on the ground unless you let one go. You cannot reach solid ground unless you let one go. And the people at the top who already know the path look at you and they say, hey, let go. And you go, I don't think that's a good idea. You only have to trust me. Yeah, sinful human being, sinful human being, not a fan. But here's what happens. When you let go, it's like the pig that ran home in Charlotte's Web that went, And I don't know about you, but I love falling in faith more than anything else in this world. I love rolling the dice and letting it ride. Giving it all over to God and being like, okay, here we go. Whee! And then they're like, grab all the rope. And you're like, what? what? <laughs> and, he, and he catches you. And you do it again. And he catches you. And he does it again. It's over and over and over again. What are you clinging on to so bad you cannot get to solid ground because you're not letting go, claiming God's peace? Is it relationships? Is it your job situation? Is it saying no to something? I have to say yes to everybody and everything or else people won't like me. Newsflash, some people in this world won't like you. Just the way it goes. Let go. Relinquish control. Thursday night we had a thunderstorm. Did you guys hear it? With Bethany gone, um, I realized the weight of my responsibility as a parent when the thunderstorm hit. Because I sleep with earplugs in and a sleep mask on, and I am completely immersed in the silence. And I, I relinquish control over to Bethany if the, if the kids cry. It's all you, babe. I love you. We'll talk about it in the morning. And then I realized that, that that's not going to happen. And so the thunderstorm hit, and, and my kids hate thunderstorms. They hate them. And so, boom! And I'm like, really, Jesus? Really? A thunderstorm? Bethany's in France? Are you serious? Boom, boom, boom! I got it. I got, I got it. Okay? Here comes my little angel, who I love. Walking down the hallway. Daddy. Isn't it amazing as a parent you go from prayer to push to prayer to push to prayer to push? It's just amazing to me. 
you go from angry to this out-of-body experience and you're yelling at your kids and you're like, oh, I'm sorry about that. I really apologize. And you get bipolar real fast as a parent. <laughs> so she comes down the hallway. I said, what do you want? I said, what do you want? What do you need, babe? <laughs> she said, Daddy, I'm scared. I'm scared too. I'm scared that I'm not going to get you back in bed. <laughs> So I was like, don't worry about it. And it's funny, too, because our sinful human nature comes out with our kids when we try to convince them of things, right? So I start lying to my kids. You guys ever do that? I'm like, don't worry about it, hon. The worst is over. Let's go back to bed. I don't know that to be true. I have no idea. Like, it starts raining harder. I'm like, Jesus, I'm trying to tell her something. So I walk her down the hall. I put her back in bed. I said, don't worry about it, hon. The worst is over. Turn up that fan from two to three. Amen. <clears throat> And then I said a prayer on the way out of her room, and I said, Dear Jesus, just please keep her in that room and let me go back to bed. And then I laid down in my bed and I thought about something. This stupid sermon comes rushing into my brain. My ways are not your ways, and I need you to be powerless in this moment. Okay. I need you to understand that I'm in control of all things, that your sleep is not on my schedule, that I'm going to wake you up when I want to wake you up. I'm going to put you to bed when I want to put you to bed. I'm going to bring your kids in so that you can learn a lesson and so that they can learn a lesson as well. And here's what I did. I got up out of my bed. I walked down the hallway. I sat next to my daughter's bed. I said, are you scared? She said, yeah. I said, I'm scared too. I said, I hate thunderstorms for different reasons. But I looked at her and I said, but you know what thunderstorms teach us? I said, they teach us that God's in control, don't they? They teach us that he's bigger than we are and that he's doing more than we could ever possibly ask or imagine. And her room sits right over top of our garden. And uh, I said, you know the garden outside? You know mommy's garden outside? That daddy screwed up all the plants with that we just planted this week? I said, uh, I said if, if that rain doesn't come, those plants don't grow. I said, you like to eat? She's like, Dad, I love to eat. I said, me too. I said, listen, if that rain doesn't come and those plants don't come up, we don't eat. And she's like, okay, I'll go back to bed. <laughs> Get out of my room, right? I walked in, back to my room, laid down in bed, and I thought, God, thanks for the rain. Not just the rain that brings the fruit that we eat physically. The rain in our lives that produces fruit spiritually. Paul will say here to the Corinthian church, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is perfect when you are weak. So I want you to boast about being weak, about being powerless, about not having control so that the power of Christ may dwell in you. I want you to understand that you can be well content when you are weak, when there are insults, when your life is full of distress, when you face persecution, when you have difficulties, when you feel powerless, when you feel like you have no control, it is for Christ's sake that when we are weak, then we are really, truly strong. If we face reality, we would find out that we're powerless so much more than we would give ourselves credit for. So much of this life is outside of our hands. And let me tell you something, church, that's how it's supposed to be. That's how life is supposed to be lived. You have to just surrender because that is when God is at work the most. Give it up. Give up control. 
Release out of your hands into God's and you will find greater strength than you could ever ask or imagine, regardless of the trials and the storms and the tribulations in your life. Let me pray for you. Dear Jesus, thank you so much for this wonderful passage in Acts, which so clearly articulates for us who find ourselves powerless. And there's so many storms in our life right now, and we have to look at Paul, who's imprisoned here in this text, who is surrounded by your protection. And he sees in that moment that you're working in unexpected ways and that your whole desire is that he would just stop wrestling and learn to rest. In church, I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know what's happening. I don't know if it's a job situation, a kid situation. I don't know if it's a sickness situation. I don't know if it's being in the stage of life that you're in that you find yourself just wrestling. But God, all of us who are in this place, I pray very specifically for myself and these people included, that you would open up our eyes to see how you protect us, that you help us to see how you're working, and that we need to rest. And I pray in all of those moments that your sovereignty would become so crystal clear that you are in control, that we can continue to walk faithfully and obediently in your word and in your will, even when those storms of life come rolling in. God, sometimes we need to just relinquish that control back to you. And in the quietness of the sanctuary, in the quietness of your heart, with whatever it is that you're wrestling with and holding on to, I would just say back to God, I release this back to you. I give this back to you. God, in this situation, do whatever you want to do. God, in this situation, teach me what I need to learn. God, in this situation, show me who I need to share the gospel with. God, in this situation, encourage me. God, in this situation, help me. God, in this situation, enable me. God, in this situation, do far more abundantly than I could ever ask or imagine. I lean into the issue, surrendering control to you. God, we believe that there is fruit on the other side of faithfulness. Help us to know that. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for dying on the cross for our sins. We thank you that we can have a relationship with you in faith. We thank you that we have the opportunity to not be alone, that you will never leave us or forsake us when we surrender our life in faith to you. And now do a great work in us as we take this word out this week and we live it out. Help us to be obedient and to trust when we're powerless. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Community Gospel Church podcast. If you would like to support this ministry financially, simply log on to communitygospelchurch.com and click the Contribute tab.